1: Revolutionize your hiring process today by jumping over to thiswayglobal.com and checking out AI for Jobs, where you can learn more about how to leverage AI for your recruiting instead of
0: just writing poems and grocery lists. That is thiswayglobal.com. We out.
2: You already know that Sovereign makes the world's best resume CV parser, but... Did you know that Sovereign also makes the world's best AI matching engine? Only Sovereign's AI matching engine goes beyond the buzzwords. With Sovereign, you control how the engine thinks. With every match, the Sovereign engine tells you what matched and exactly how each matching document was scored. And if you don't agree with the way it scored the matches, you can simply move some sliders to tell it to score the matches your way. No other engine on Earth gives you that combination of insight and control. With Sovereign, matching isn't some frustrating black box, trust us, it's magic, one-shot deal like all the others. No. With Sovereign, matching is completely understandable, completely controllable, and actually, kind of fun. Sovereign. Software so human, you'll want to take it to dinner.
1: Hide your kids. Lock the doors. You're listening to HR's most dangerous podcast. Chad Sowash and Joel Cheeseman are here to punch the recruiting industry right where it hurts. Complete with breaking news, rash opinion, and loads of snark. Buckle up, boys and girls. It's time for the Chad
0: and Cheese Podcast. Oh, oh yeah. Time to move fast and break shit, kids. Number one Amazon bestseller in the house. I didn't know you wrote a book. <laughs> Not me, my friends. Not me. That's right. That's right, kids. We have Shannon
1: Lucas and Tracy Lovejoy in the house. We're gonna be talking about the book "Move Fast, Break Shit, and Burn Out." I can't. I can't wait. Uh, first and foremost. Shannon has been an EVP at Ericsson, a senior innovation architect at Cisco. That's a hell of a title right there. And uh, a director of innovation at Vodafone. Okay, Shannon, on the spot right now. What's your most proud moment, your most innovative moment at Vodafone? I mean, you were the director of innovation. So what's, what's the thing that you hold up high?
3: I would have to say that it would be the work that we did in Africa using basic technology to sort of ha- transform uh, the medical industry and how we tracked drugs from supply chain to the, to the end users in the rural
1: communities. Holy shit. Well that what? that is that's that's a that's a lot better than I thought.
4: Yeah, ask and you receive.
5: I was, thinking,
1: I was thinking like, you know, I had this headset idea. It was really cool, it was cushiony, and it was awesome. Yeah, okay, okay. Well then we have Tracy. Who is an anthropologist? Believe that shit. And Love uh joy. Yeah. And the research engine Love for joy. Catalyst constellations. She spent 12 years at Microsoft leading teams of change makers and co-founded the Ethnographic Praxis in Industry Conference. Now, is that really the name of the conference?
4: Epic for short.
1: Oh, okay. But yeah, but you had to throw anthographic in there so that idiots like us would never go to that conference. That's right. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) You've both authored this book called Move Fast, Break Shit, Burnout, The Catalyst's Guide to Working Well. Right out of the gate, softball question. How do you guys define catalyst?
4: To us, catalysts are people who are natural change makers, right? You, we, we played with the word change agent to figure out if that was the right path. But when you look at the literature around change agent, a lot of it is like how to become a change agent. We're talking about the people out there that either from birth or you know young age have this intuitive way of being in the world where they're taking in information, seeing lots of opportunities and possibilities and can't stop themselves from moving to action to actually make that true. That's what a catalyst
0: is to us. Entrepreneur Magazine gave you the distinction of one of the nine top book to read in 2021. How awesome
4: is that? Yeah. Right.
0: Why do you think you're one of the nine books that I should read? And it takes a lot to get me to read, folks. Yeah, because you can't.
3: (laughs) I'll jump in here. I would say because um, one of the other distinctions about how we think about catalysts is um, they are the people who help. You know, sort of are are born future ready, if you will. There's a term called VUCA, which is stands for volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous which came out of the military in the 1980s to describe sort of the post-Cold War situation. Um, And that VUCA, you know, reality has only sort of accelerated in the past decade since they came up with that term. And while organizations and entrepreneurs themselves have sort of been denying that new reality, 2020 was definitely the year where we saw what that looked like uh, firsthand globally. And so I think it's really important for people to understand what it means to sort of arrive in the world VUCA ready, ready to take on on all of these challenges and find new and better opportunities out of them.
4: And I'll add, if you're an entrepreneur that's an innovator, you're too important to where we are today to get taken offline. And catalysts have cycles of burnout that really do just lay us flat out. And so if you don't have your operating manual of how you can sustain your energy, this is it. That's what we wrote. So to me, that's fundamentally why we think everybody who operates this way absolutely should check it out.
0: Curious guys, uh, writing a book is never like an easy decision. Um, What was the genesis to put pen to paper and get this thing done?
4: For me, it it was... As soon as I started doing research with Catalyst and it happened by accident, there was, I knew that I was going to have to make the information available. I didn't know necessarily if it was going to be book writing or blog posts, but it was something that almost felt like it came through me. Uh, From the earliest time of doing interviews, I would watch these people have a space to talk about what their reality has been like and the challenges that they've experienced. And given my sense of personal purpose, it just, it was going to happen in one way or another. So it- I don't have a better answer than that.
0: (laughs) And was it 50-50 or did, is one writing more than the other? How does, like, I can't imagine, like, I do a podcast with someone else. Writing a book, I think, would be a nightmare. How did that work?
3: (laughs) It was, it was actually fun. It was a fun creative process because we actually deepened our thinking and continued to do research the entire time that we were writing the book. Um, So we did, you know, multiple rounds of additional interviews with the people that we, you know, highlighted in the book. Um, So, you know, it's not an easy process. And we also just came, we, you know, we decided early on that done was better than perfect. And so, you know, we set a time goal for ourselves, and it was just important to us that it got out there. And I would just add to the why that Tracy said, um, it became Clear early on, after the first couple of years of us launching the company, that we needed to create a shared language and a shared context in order for us to be able to fulfill our mission, which is really to help identify and support catalysts around the world. Who
1: does this book help? Is it the individual? Is it the leader? The manager? Who does this book help to be able to to, to focus on understanding what a catalyst is and how they work? In or outside
0: of an organization Millennials must love this thing
3: the, the title helps. The The original idea that we had was actually almost to write like a two-sided book, one for the individual catalysts, and then one for the organizations or leaders or managers of catalysts. Um, we we tend to dream big and audacious. And we decided to dial that back for this first book. But there's definitely another book that we would like to put out there, which would talk to the organizations of or the leaders about how to support them. So this first book is really to get the name out there and, and for the individual catalyst. But we have a lot of people who might not be catalysts who are reading it, but as they read it, they're like, I know who these people are in my life now and I understand, you know,
1: how I can more effectively support them. Joel and I are both Gen Xers and that's probably the only label other than podcaster, that, that we actually fit ourselves into. But I can just see all of the LinkedIn ninjas in the wizards. Now we're going to have to deal with all these people titling themselves as sales catalyst, marketing catalyst, DoorDash catalyst. I mean, are, are we just creating labels to create labels here? Or what,
0: pro- what problem does this solve, really? That was good, Sowash.
5: Did
4: we make your lives more difficult?
1: (laughs) I don't know what it does for me. Help me here.
4: Do you identify as a catalyst?
1: That's a great question because... I'm sure we all know tons of people with great ideas. They can talk about innovation all day, but they move like sloths. Yes, and they, and they couldn't execute if their lives depended on it. So, uh-huh. totally. the, the question is, what is the major factor of a catalyst? I would like to say, oh yeah, I'm a catalyst. But shit, what does that even mean? Well, those
4: are two really important and different questions that you've posed. The first being, you know, how is this helpful? And an unposed question of, you know, is it potentially not helpful or you didn't say. (laughs) And then and then the next part of, you know, what does it mean? So the what does it mean? Because this is the book for catalysts and this also answers the why is it helpful? Is if this has been your way of being, most of the folks that find us have had an experience where it, it has ended up feeling really painful and lonely. And so having this named for them has been really, really important Mm -hmm. because they start to question Am I wrong? Am I broken? And so to have someone say, like, we actually see a subset of folks and they have been written about in other places. But what's interesting in the writing is they're like, oh, there's, you know, 4 percent or 10 percent of the population are like this. But nobody has done the work to understand what really binds them and what's different. And yet there's this kind of common wisdom that they are the starters for us societally, right? If you look at, Hmm. you know, the uh, diffusion, right, of innovation, and it talks about these folks, or you look at leadership agility, it talks about these folks, and all of them end up talking to the masses about how you can be more like them. But it doesn't help the folks who are already like that. And we have really unique challenges that we face. And there are ways that we can be better, So for me, right, helping to write a book that actually optimizes the change-making of our best change-makers, I think that's an amazing opportunity for us, especially given the number of problems we have to solve today. Back to what Shannon was talking about of the VUCA-ready folks. Like, let's amplify them, right? Let's empower them and help everybody get better as they're helping lead the charge. That's what it means to me.
1: So in most cases, when you feel like, you are moving at light speed. You see a lot of shit that's happening all around you. You see the dots and you're connecting the dots. But most of the people that you're actually talking with and, and, and dealing with on a daily basis, um, they can't even see the dots, let alone connect, <laughs> connect them, right? So, so what we're saying is those individuals, and I, I've had that feeling my entire life, those individuals really I mean, can burn out fast but they also have issues because it's hard to work within a team when they can't even understand what you're talking about a lot of times because it's hard to articulate what's going on in your brain how as as a leader as a leader how do you identify that and how do you help that individual because the last thing you want to lose is an individual like that even though they're not fitting in what do you do how does that work
3: I mean, the identification, as I mentioned earlier, when people are reading the book, as people start to understand, you know, the the highlight of what it means to be a catalyst, their brain sort of naturally goes to those people in their life because they do stand out. they show up differently. We often get called, you know, get, get named monikers like troublemaker or disruptor and not always in a positive sense, yeah. especially if we're not self-aware. To Tracy's point, you know, part of the po- point of the book is to give the catalyst themselves the skills to be less disruptive, which doesn't mean stopping change. It just means doing it in a way that brings other people along more effectively. So um, it's not hard to identify them. We work with organizations like we can have surveys and self-identification tools, etc., one thing that Tracy and I talked a lot about early on when we started this work is, do we want to be the labelers of catalysts or do we let catalysts sort of lean in and name themselves? And we came pretty heavily down on that second one. Like if the word, ca- even if you, all the attributes fit you, if being a catalyst doesn't resonate with you, then then that's, that's fine. And then I think there's a great question there about, you know, as a leader, how do we support them? Obviously, myself as a leader, I was a catalyst. And so I had to um, surround myself with people who could trans you know, that had catalytic capabilities, but could also help me bring the rest of the organization along. And so intentionality is a word that we use a lot in all of this work is like, how can the catalyst be more intentional about the work that they're doing? But also how can the leaders intentionally support them, making sure that they're not spread thin, chasing all of the new shiny projects or opportunities, but helping them to prioritize, um, giving them the surroundings and removing some of the barriers that might, you know, get in their way. And I think one One of the key things from that perspective is psychological safety. Once catalog- you know, once organizations recognize that they have these VUCA ready people, they will send them on these heroes missions. Okay, go out into the world and figure out what we need to do next. And by definition, that's usually some kind of divergent thinking from the way the organization currently operates. So they go out, they do their vision quest, they come back. Hopefully, they can now clearly articulate their vision. Um, but it could cause such cognitive dissonance for how the organization operates that either the idea gets attacked or the catalyst themselves gets attacked. So it's really then incumbent on the leader to help create a space of psychological safety to have healthy conversations about which pieces of
1: that they're going to move forward with or not. Yeah. And if they're truly catalysts, then if their idea gets attacked, they're being attacked.
3: That's what it feels like. A hundred percent. It's almost a physical connection to that idea. That's right. And, but it's interesting because catalysts generally not, not universally, but generally don't go in with an agenda, you know, when they get brought into the organization or the team, or if they're entrepreneurs, they're really just sensing like, what's the next thing that needs to unfold here as the dots are connecting, as they're doing the sense-making. It's not like it's their horse in the race until they are convinced and have the data, you know, that that is the right thing to do. And we can be arrogant about that. Let's, let's own that. We can be arrogant that we can see the absolute right path to go down. Right. Um, But I think it's important for people to remember that, you know, we're usually just in service of whatever positive change we think needs to come next.
1: Okay. Listener, how can you help your employees become more productive? I have answers. How about automating?
0: <laughs> seriously, though, seriously, TextKernel cuts through the complexities like a tortilla chip through some hot nacho cheese. Oh, my God. Really? Nacho references already. Anyways, TextKernel uh. brings efficiency and productivity
1: to your operations. TextKernel seamlessly unifies your tools and
0: data to drive efficiencies and success. TextKernel is creating new opportunities for your recruitment journey. Get ready to use today's tech
1: to drive efficiencies and productivity. Visit texkernel.com. That's T-E-X-T-K-E-R-N-E-L.com.
0: Mm, nachos.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but it's so frustrating when nobody wants to come along for the ride.
0: It's so yep.
4: frustrating.
0: So. It's very frustrating. <laughs> The book talks about whether uh, catalysts are born or made. Talk about that.
4: We don't know. Uh, We just simply haven't done the research. So I can tell you that in initial research where I was doing in-depth interviews, qualitative, a lot of the stories talked about this having been a way of being since childhood that they can remember. I didn't dig into was that born? Were there events that happened? And I haven't yet met people who tell me like it came later in life. But I don't rule that out as a possibility that they had some experience that kind of force them into that. In fact, in The Power of Habit, Charles Duhigg talks about that in terms of community change and habit, that there are community leaders who've had that. I don't know if those leaders would say, I became a catalyst. It just honestly hasn't been the question that I've been that interested in answering, <laughs> uh, because there's so many different things that I keep going back to learn more about from our population. So... I don't know.
3: We do have a gentleman that we highlight in the book, Michael, who he really pinpoints in his life what his catalytic moment was. Um, And it's when he was, you know, young and in a car and a friend in the car died, not his fault, but it really precipitated great change in him. So there is a hypothesis that there might be some of those, you know, life altering moments. But to Tracy's point, we don't have the data yet.
1: Yeah, I think mine came in when I actually went into the military because the military in itself really teaches and focuses on troubleshooting and looking for the dots so that Mm -hmm. you can, so that you can connect the dots. And I'm not sure that everybody kind of like absorbs that same learning, but I know then that's when mine Hit so really it's almost like th- there's a point uh, uh, where you finally get algebra. Yeah. yeah, yeah,
4: that's fascinating because one of the things that I've played with, especially thinking about it from a research and teaching angle, Chad, is the the one key attribute that I wonder that we can teach is the ability to take in lots of information. Mm -hmm. so that you're really connecting the dots. And so I've had a, a, a hypothesis untested of like, maybe that's the thing that people have naturally or not. But what you're telling me is that even that part can be taught which is really compelling to me. So thank you.
1: I, well, I think it was almost how to pull the dots together. I was never a great student and mm-hmm. I never understood why. Right. But when I got into more of a structured scenario yeah. and they taught me how to take all of those inputs and then
0: focus on execution, that, yeah. that was big for me. But don't you think the catalyst was always in there? It just had to be sort of programmed or pulled out. I don't think you learned it. I think it was always there, yes? It might
1: have been triggered
0: maybe okay. on, on wow. how to
1: take in the information, process the information, and and, and work. I mean, because obviously my brain's all jacked up to be able to work <laughs> it right. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah. Easy on the red bulls there, killer. Easy on Shut. the red bulls. Guys, I wanna I wanna pivot uh, pivot a little bit. When I read the the name of the book, Move Fast and Break Shit, in particular, reminded me of Facebook. And I want to say that this was either this was either sort of a programming mantra at Facebook early on where yeah. just move fast, build stuff, break shit, move on and keep going. And, and I think that was initially sort of a badge of honor right. uh, for Facebook. And, you know, a few years hence, we found out that, well, if you're not thoughtful about this stuff, you know, Russians get involved, elections go awry. <laughs>
3: Small things like that. Yeah. <laughs>
0: that aren't necessarily positive. So, right. I assume that both of you have a positive take on the move fast break shit, or am I wrong on that?
3: The title definitely has a nod to Facebook for sure. And, you know, I'm coming from sort of the background of having been in Silicon Valley for the last 20 years. Uh, But the book is also about what happens when catalysts are unintentional. Um, So I think a lot of people get hung up on, especially the catalyst. They're like, yeah, I want to move fast. Yeah, I want to break shit. But no, I don't want to burn out. And so they get confused. Like, are you advocating for burnout? We're like, no, in fact, we're not necessarily advocating for moving fast and breaking shit per se, you know, unto itself. What the contention is, is that if we are not intentional in what we are doing, we will do that mindlessly. We will move too fast. We'll leave people behind. We'll break shit without understanding what data or like sort of intentionally picking the processes or the things in the organization that actually need to bend or break. And then that all of that will cause resistance, which will then accelerate and sort of amplify burnout. And so the whole rest of the book, and that's the subtitle, is let's get the tools so that you can actually in some ways move fast by intentionally slowing down through some steps. You can break shit, but with intentionality so that it's actually in service of your vision and moving things forward instead of leaving people behind and having them get pissed off and frustrated. That goes back to the disruptor and troublemaker monikers that we get. And our contention is is that we probably can't stop you entirely from burning out. We just move fast and shine bright, and, and that's our way of being. But we do know that there are ways that we can reduce the amplification and the frequency of the burnout, uh, because the contention is, you know, a burnt out catalyst creates no change at all. An interesting point to that is it's Often, only when we point out how burnout gets in the way of creating change that catalysts, including myself, uh, will actually start to embrace some of the methods for reducing the, the friction and burnout. We won't do it for ourselves in, in terms of a sense of self-care or self-worth, but we'll do it in sense of in a sense of service of the thing that we're trying to create. Talk about
1: that, because when it comes down to managing this, it, it, is, it is incredibly frustrating, as, as I'd said before, and as you know, that when... Other individuals can't see the dots, they can't connect the dots, and you can't really articulate the process in itself. What do you do? You know that the end point for you as a catalyst really is execution. If you can't do that front part you can't get to the end, right? And that's where the, the, the major frustration comes. Uh, if you're at a point of leadership, obviously you could be a failed leader, even though you see it all. And if you're a part of a team, uh, you can't really be gelled in a team because they don't understand really the end of the means, right? On how you can get there and and the frustration just grows. So how do you, how do you manage that?
4: Shannon was alluding to this of, of that we struggle to... You know, self care. I I feel like I'm I'm at war with the term self care. It just we we will never do it if that's how we think about it. The paradigm of self care is, you know, it's selfish. It is, you know, the last thing on my list. I can do it once a quarter. So the big switch is when you see the ability to make change that you are an actor within that system and that it doesn't happen without you participating, then you'll begin to make the switch, right? And so there's a super easy metaphor that that people can use. And once you get it, you're like, how did I not see it before? Is thinking of yourself as a gas tank and taking the time to actually figure out what are the activities that take gas out of my tank? Like, oh my gosh, when I meet with Joanne every Tuesday, I am exhausted and I've never noticed that before.
0: God, I hate her. (laughs) When I I talk to Chad.
4: (laughs) (laughs) When I have that team meeting, I'm always really energized. So it's bigger than just the activities we do outside of work hours. It's really getting clear on what is it that fills us and depletes us and seeing ourselves as part of that vision that we're moving toward and making sure that your time integrates activities that give you energy and take energy away. It sounds simple, but there's so much awareness you have to put into it that it does take time and intention.
1: And and don't you have to also identify when a culture and an environment isn't good for you and you just gotta get the fuck out?
3: Yep. Totally. A hundred percent. We talk to people all the time. Our vision is to have instead of like the top one hundred places to work, like the top fifty or hundred catalyst friendly companies, it'll be an amazing um, you know, magnet for attracting high potential people, because there's a high, there's a high correlation between catalysts and high potentials. And the amount of change they'll be able to create is it will be sort of unstoppable. I also just to the, going back to the other point that you were making, you know, the the bringing people along. So how do you reduce the resistance, which ultimately leads to the burnout that Tracy was sort of solving for? And there's an interesting thing here about emotional labor is really the word that comes up, because we need catalysts, because the 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 impetus is on them. They're the ones that see the change. Um, to help actually the organization go through the different stages of relationship through the change process, which is much like going through the grief process. And one of the most frustrating parts for Catalyst about this is that we have to do a lot of the emotional labor for the organization. We have to do the handholding, not just to get people to see the vision, but to be comfortable moving through all of the steps to actually achieve that vision. And that's where a lot of the frustration comes. It's that, that's where that frustration is, is like, why don't they see it? And why don't they get it? But the impetus is not on the other people necessarily
0: to do that emotional work. How does the pandemic change the calculus? I'm guessing this wasn't something you thought of when you started the book, but it obviously probably came into effect as you were writing it. So we have more people working from home. We have more solopreneurs. We have more contract workers to, to, to navigate. There are a lot of things that are a little bit different in our world and will continue to be a difference um, and how does that how does that impact sort of your your structure and your and your thesis on catalysts?
4: I don't know that it cha- if the calculus changes or our thesis changes. Certainly, uh, one of the things that Shannon and I are doing are collecting case studies because the uh, you know catalysts have been on fire during the pandemic, right? If there was ever a time that people needed to be out there helping solve problems, my goodness, this is it, and. It, it's amazing to watch those that have have become part of the community have that opportunity to do that. What has changed that you're pointing to that's not about our calculus is the burnout rate globally is is so so intense, right? Mental health is so challenged. Never shut off and we are disconnected, as I talked about those activities that fill us, we're disconnected from a lot of those activities, including human connection, which is you know like the heart of how we thrive, most of us as human beings, even as introverts. And so that's not catalysts aren't separate there. And so when we, you know, are in community with folks, we have an online community that's something that we address a lot. It's it's a tough time for all of us.
0: One of the things that, that I thought about when I asked the question as well is you guys talk a lot about delegation in the book and the importance of, you know, passing on work uh, to, to relieve stress on you to, you know, counteract burnout. How do you think work from home and being virtual impacts delegation. I, my, I personally feel like it's harder to delegate when you're not in a face-to-face situation.
3: I would say th- th- I th- that could certainly be true. One of the tools that, I mean, we can even talk about how we run our company. One of the tools that we talk about is um, once you have your vision, getting really clear on what the strategic priorities are, and then actually like making a priority list and tracking your time against that and having a not right now list as well. Um, and so we try and sort of walk the talk as we're doing that. And when we get the, the, the crisper that we get on the actual activities that are supporting us achieving the vision, the more bound they are, actually, the more capable we are of delegating those. And Tracy and I personally, I mean, Tracy has two kids at home, we have a bunch of kids at home. So we've been living this experience along with everyone else. And we've just gotten every quarter, honestly, Clear and clearer on when our tanks are getting low, and we need to delegate things. So I think it's a very relevant conversation. I don't know for myself if it's harder. I think it's more necessary now because of all of the demands that are put on us. Tracy, what do you think?
4: Yeah, I love the question, Joel. It's really making me reflect. And, and I'm Why, diving, le- yeah, less into research and more into coaching conversations, because it's where I spend a lot of my hours each week. And I don't delegation is definitely a thing, but because Catalyst really, you know, think about solving a problem, I do see a lot of intentionality in the time of now, and we're working from home, of thinking about the structure of how work's getting done. And so I see less of a problem for leaders in delegating, because they'll get there as they figure out, like, what's this new system? What's today versus what's going to be sustained for a few weeks? How do I solve for the reality of it? How do I, you know, not help my people burn out? But you brought to mind a place that is different for catalysts. And that's actually the opposite of leaders. It's when we're in physical spaces and we're not included in the meeting, we know we need to be to be in to be able to help affect change. We can kind of get the room right and show up. But in the age of Zoom, If you don't have the link, this is actually much harder. So I'm seeing where it's sideways, you know, influence or moving outside of my organizational influence where catalysts are struggling a bit more than the delegation and going straight down.
0: I'll let you out on this. And I kind of want to piggyback on the delegation topic. Chad and I talk a ton on the podcast about automation about how you know, really uh, repetitious recruiting tasks will be automated. Searching for candidates, interviewing, you know, pre-screening, how all that will be automated in your world or where you're coming from is automation. Sort of, it seems like that would be extra gas for a catalyst, right? If I can, if I can move off some of this minutiae of my everyday and focus on. Kicking an ass and yes. breaking shit like that's a good thing. Am, yes. am I thinking about that correctly or not?
3: A hundred percent. And actually, yes. we just there's a there's a compendium book that I think everyone else should read, which is the Adaptation Advantage by Chris Shipley and Heather McGowan. And this is exactly what they're talking about. They're talking about the impact that automati- automation is going to have on the future of work. And their contention, rightly, is the more human the job is, the more human skills that are required, the more valuable it's going to be. And what's interesting is in in years past, catalysts have had a real challenge explaining what their superpowers have been or are. And that's why we lean into VUCA so heavily is because it's a it's a context that people can start to get their heads around that has all of those soft skills, which are like the creative thinking, the signal through the noise, the dot connecting, the, you know, we ignite cultures, we become the evangelist for things and get people on board, like all of those discreetly, the emotional, the empathy that we bring to the table, the emotional intelligence, all of those things that it will, it might happen someday, but it'll take a long time for the, you know, the automation to catch up with that. So a 100%, we like from a personal experience, the more that I can automate or, You know, sort of outsource some of those more repetitious jobs. The 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 more engaged I am in the creative thinking and problem solving
1: work. Excellent. Well, Shannon Lucas and Tracy Lovejoy, move fast, break shit, burn out. The Catalyst's guide to working well. I would assume I can just go straight to. Amazon right now buy the book did, did did you guys also do the audible on this have you done the audible yet tell me you voiced the audible
4: we have not released the audible yet not on the yet. horizon yes <laughs> right i know
1: i know i expect i expect you both to be on the audible version but until then if people want to find out more about you find out uh, about the organization the book where would you send them
4: to find out more about the book absolutely hit amazon up there grab it and to learn more about us and what we do go to catalystconstellations.com and you can learn all about the ways that we support catalyst from having online community we have courses that are bringing folks together offer coaching and mentoring lots of ways to come together and explore your catalyticness in the world
0: and don't forget move fast break shit.com. i love that nice <laughs>
1: that is nice
0: we out we out
5: thanks guys Thank you for listening to, what's it called? A podcast. The Chad. The Cheese. Brilliant. They talk about recruiting. They talk about technology. But most of all, they talk about nothing. Just a lot of shout-outs of people you don't even know. And yet, you're listening. It's incredible. And not one word about cheese. Not one. Cheddar. Blue. It's so weird. We out.
2: You've got questions, we've got answers. Business leadership, ownership, and sales can be challenging. Tune in to the Accelerate Your Business Growth podcast to learn from the world's experts. Join me, your host, Diane Helbig, as I chat with people who have expertise in various areas of business. You'll enjoy the lively conversations that are focused on providing you with the ideas,